Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CDH. I am one of your hosts, Reed, aka Sick Robot, and today I'm joined by my co-host Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going, everyone? As well as special guest and Marchesa 2022 winner, Grand Champion Corbito. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, we are you fine with uh, us calling you Corbito? Corvito. Absolutely. Corvito or Ryan, whatever's good. Anybody Great. Anything. Perfect. Um, so, as anybody listening to this might be able to guess, we are going to be covering Marchesa 2022 and Corvito's pretty insane run, honestly, um, through the tournament. Um, well, so we'll be, we'll be asking a few questions, sort of getting into a bit of the tournament experience and Corvito's thought process um, behind bringing the deck that he did bring, because it is a very interesting deck choice, and it's, there's a lot to talk about there. Um, and then we'll sort of spiral off and, you know, do a bit more broad discussion around tournament metas, et cetera, et cetera, because I, I think there's, there's been a sort of a string of a bunch of different um, tournament events recently that I feel like a lot of people are rethinking what it means to you know, be playing CDH in tournament <laughs> at the moment. Um, but before we get to that, um, we have some housekeeping to do. Um, as always, we thank our new patrons. Um, and I guess we'll go through and do that then. So we would like to thank Adam H. Stephen P. The Mind Sculptors. Thanks, Callahan. John H. And Curtis S. Uh, thanks for supporting the podcast. Much appreciated. Um, as we say in the end of the episode, uh, everything that you donate to um, the Patreon goes towards helping increase the, po- the quality of the podcast and uh, just other things associated with that. So thanks. Thank you. Thanks, all of you. Um, do we do? Yeah, I'll say it. You rock. <laughs> we'll keep going until we get a C&D. Um. That's all right. <laughs> I'll 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 keep going. I, I'm sure we'll immediately go back to not try to be in legal trouble. But you know what? You gotta <laughs> spin it off for a bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, so getting it, so getting sort of into our main topic here because there's we have a guest. We we have to extract as much content from our guest as possible. You know, <laughs> um, so we'll get right into it. Uh, so, well, first of all. Corbito, would you like to introduce yourself before we get into any real questions? Just, you know, give the listeners any an idea of who you are, what you think they should know about you. Sure. I, my name is Ryan. I like to play Magic. I've been playing Magic since, I guess, my first... I, I bought cards back in, like, Portal 5th edition, and I began tournament play in, like, the uh, Onslaught block, actually. I started playing Standard, and I was playing Vintage. Today. So I've been playing tournament Magic for, like, 20 years or... Whenever onslaught, it was a long time. I don't like to do the math personally, but uh, <laughs> I've, been playing, I've been playing tournament magic for a very long time, and uh, and I've always enjoyed competitive gaming. I I played competitive gaming in a few other genres as well, time time on and off when I can afford it. So um, yeah, I love it. It's a lot of fun. Great to hear. Um, how, what what sort of got you into EDH then? Uh, COVID actually, right? Like, oh wow. So I was oh, a, wow. again, I was a degenerate card player forever, <laughs> and I jumped into arena. I played arena for quite a bit, but. <laughs> COVID sorry, killed sorry, all other format. It's it's just hilarious that you're saying degenerate sixty card player when we play an incredibly fake For format. Sure. But yeah, <laughs> well, and that's how it was. Like, I mean, because again, like the the tournament player, like the like the standard players, we're vicious cutthroat, like savage card players. Oh right? yeah, we don't like we're, right. We're barely friends with each other, much less you know what I mean. Like so, so that's kind of like that was the standard tournament scene, and that's kind of like that's how the play. But when you sit down to play Magic against someone in one v one in tournament. 
you're immediately trying to defeat them in every human way possible. Like, your opponents <laughs> will use every tactic from intimidation to, like, mind games to, like, I'll never forget some of the worst smashes I've had. Uh, and, and how dismantling they can be, right? And so there's, like, a, they, it really is kind of a degenerate, like, you know, group of uh, players to be in. So to, to go from that scene to the commander scene, commander's the opposite. Like, no, we're friends here. Stop, stop doing that. Be nice. Be, don't be so mean, you know? It's a, it's a big adjustment. And that was, uh, that was COVID, COVID kind of forced that upon me and all my hardcore tournament brethren. You know what I mean? There's, there's no more legacy FNM. There's no more modern. Like, the tournaments very barely pop off ever. So yeah, you gotta, kind of have to play commander just to play. Yeah, I was got to find some way to play with cards. Um, exactly. So how how did you like? So I guess like, what's the timeline then of you getting? So you get into EDH at the beginning of sort of COVID. Um, how did you get into CDH? How long did it take you to sort of like sort of start looking at the higher end of the format? Well, I'd, I'd had like a a single commander deck built. Like I had a Krinko mono red Krinko deck built for like a decade, and it's like that way. If my friends ever wanted to play, I could just sit down and play like Blaze or whatever. But uh, when COVID came, everything changed because that was again it was the only way to play. So. Um, I started actually looking into the format. Again, it was like, uh, so COVID came in February, and then by like March or April, I was we had like a Sunday game set up. We'd all go to the this one fellow's house. He'd invite us over. We'd play cards, and it didn't take maybe another month or two after that for me just doing what I would normally do, like research the meta, read every deck. Like if I'm gonna make like a random goblin deck, I'm gonna read every goblin deck list on the internet. <laughs> and then once i'm aware of the cards that are playable we're gonna go into gatherer and read every goblin card that's been printed and then from there we'll start making a deck list so when so when i took these normal steps that would just come with making any deck in my opinion they quickly seemed to crush like the, yeah, my friends I've, that were just casually playing commander i was about know? to say so, i was about to say i'm seeing the through line here <laughs> exactly is, yeah every time it just would be the same way and they would give me newer rules like Okay, Ryan, like we, we understand that the, the commander we gave you last time seemed weak, but somehow that was ridiculous. You can't play that anymore. You have to stop that. All right, so you have to, now you have rules. to play with the prismatic piper of the command zone. Exactly. You're not allowed to play basic <laughs> lands. Like, I would get newer, weirder deck building rules that I had to conform to in order to like not make something that was absurd. Or, or not, that, not that these decks were insane, but they're like at least too insane for you know the casual commander scene. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely an interesting... Um, like. I think I think people don't necessarily grasp like how wide the power spectrum is like across all of Commander yeah. because like you know you know you think like okay you take a weak standard deck and then you're like okay t two weak standard decks could definitely beat like working together could definitely beat like a strong standard deck right unless it's like some you know really weird like Oh, it even could probably beat some like modern decks if you're working together, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, but then, yeah. but then, like Somebody in Commander, knows. it's like, okay, how many, you know, how many like precons would you need to not feel confident playing like Cody or yeah, or like Thrasius to know like Hermit or, or, or whatever? It's or like, like ten, like I, I don't <laughs> like even know. Dating with the same like over top of all of the precons, you could bring thirty five precons and KNS. Like, if you get Krog Sakashima on play, you will just play on top of all of them with no, like, you that's just the play style. And, and that's like, that's one of so many decks that can play just like I 100% respect. Like, I agree completely. It's actually, it, it's actually hilarious. I'm not gonna get too deep for this, but that's like a hilarious thought experiment of like, okay, how many, <laughs> how many average, like, 
standard decks would you have to play together to beat, like, a legacy deck? Or, like, how many average, like, pioneer decks would you have to put together to beat, like, a modern deck consistently? <laughs> Just a fun thought experiment. It's true. Um, well, and again, we used, to, we used to pack decks like that all the time. Because if you were playing 60-card Degenerate Magic, you probably had at least one of everything, right? So, but if you forgot your modern that day, it's like, oh, no big deal. Just, like, grab your standard. Let's go. And, and you, some standard decks just will happily kryptonite, like, certain modern decks into the ground. Oh, Especially yeah. if you're playing, like, uh, when Thoughtseize or cards like this are in standard, like, you can play it. You're fine. Like, take that to Legacy. You'll do okay. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, well, there's the there's the famous story about the dude that brought a, um like, just a random, uh like, mid-range standard deck to a Legacy tournament and won, like, two rounds because the local meta was just infested with Mono Red Prison. <laughs> which is like can't beat a 6-6 six, six for 6 with Trample <laughs> Vintage Magic used to be like that yeah. Vintage was one of the first 60 card formats I played like I was saying earlier and you could take a standard deck into Vintage and win games like crazy just because they were like smokestacks with such a prominent uh, archetype as well as like Control Slaver but if you're playing some dorky standard deck with like a whole bunch of threats you get to play every game early and then you just like bolt their wilders that they're, they're like blind screwed they, they're not prepared for that type of deck list you know yeah. Yes. Uh... <laughs> uh, so, so you're okay. Obviously, I mean, like anybody listening can clearly see. Like, this is the type of person that, like, if you start an EDH, it's sort of inevitable that you're eventually going to find your way to CDH, right? Like, I, I mean, just like, I, I feel like that's the case for anybody who has like a long, uh, like a long history of experience with like tournament ed or like just tournament magic in general if you get into edh like it's sort of inevitable that you're at, you'll at least be exposed to cdh right um for sure competitive level i, I want to compete when i want to have a, i want to i want to do it as, as best as i can so taking it to the next level whatever that means what i'm looking for every time yeah so like what what was like your initial so like obviously like you're you're in an arms race with um like a local play group um or, like, maybe a one-sided arms race. But still, like, you're, like, constantly, like, building better decks. Like, wh when, when's your first contact with, like, actual, like, true CEH? So it's funny, too, right? So the, the, my, 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 my first starting group, like I described earlier, the, it didn't, you're right. Like you were saying, that was a one-sided arms race for a while. <laughs> and, and kind of time showed itself. But it didn't take that long to find. I, I have a, a, a friend who lives here in Beaverton, where I live. His name is Tommy Costello. And Tommy... I met him playing Legacy. We used to play like Thursday Night Legacy at the LGS, and Tommy's an incredible player, and he's mainly a Legacy player. He's been playing Legacy forever. He's a very competent player for sure. And he, uh, his commander decks were different. His commander decks far more um, remind me of like the modern mid-range farm decks that we would see, mm. or maybe like uh, even like Charles's mono white deck. He would play cards I've never heard of, but they were super good. They were from archetypes lost long before cards like Aura of Silence. Um, that would just cripple oh, out of nowhere. And absolute banger of a card. <laughs> absolutely, and the, like, so so Tommy's decks, and the, we we slowly over time found another person, another one or two people, one or two people, and I would say that now, um, just from gathering these really potent players one at a time, I wouldn't say that I've got like maybe six or seven players that I one hundred percent respect and fear as peer at a card table, and they these people play incredible things, and they play differently than me a lot of the time. Some people have. Maybe more same play style as me, but they're they're super 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 strong players. So it was inevitable that when we started playing against one another as our primary opponents, we all had to respectfully up our game consistently over and over again, kind of keep keep up with the local race. I actually, 
Dude, I, I love that story so much because, like, Morgan, I, I think we've had this same discussion with, like, multiple people. Of, like, uh, people being like, how do I, like, how do I, like, curate, like, a local play group? Or, like, how do I build, like, a, a CDH play group in, like, my local LGS or whatever? And, like, I think our answer is always just, like, just continuously look for and pick up people who, like, you respect as players or who you enjoy playing against. And just, like, slowly try to integrate them into a local play. It, it, that sounds like exactly what you were doing, right? Absolutely. And it, it's kind of like an obvious sink or swim, too, right? Like, when, when we invite people in and they they have a hard time or they, like, can't scoop up a win after a couple of rounds or a couple of different games of trying, it's like, okay, well, thanks for trying. And and, the, and it's, it's almost like that, that, that thanks for trying is something I never have to say. They say, instead, it's like, thanks for giving me the chance to try out, like... <laughs> EDH yeah, the way yeah. you guys play it, I have a new respect for it, and uh, please replace me with someone who can keep up. You know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> the players are never sad to to be kicked out per se, and it's it's always the opposite. They're excited to see it from a new perspective, and they always walk away with a new kind of respect for the game. Like eh, it's like the anime scene where it's like, oh, I didn't even know you could be so powerful. You get to see that, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I I've been in that position tons of times, you know. So it's always cool to see it for them too. Definitely, yeah, and the. You know, the the end game is when you get to the point where you have like a large enough core of of competent players that like you can actually you know support a few people who like uh you know who are learning and getting better and maybe aren't quite at that level yet. Um, there's you know a uh, a story of a player in our local playgroup before you know the pandemic kind of shut us down who. He joined, and you know he was like a quick study, but when he when he started showing up, he wasn't very experienced. And like he'd been playing with us for a few months, and then some other new player showed up, and you know we spent a lot of the night sort of coaching is is too like formal a word, but you know like giving pointers and tips and yeah, like just pointing like, out, yeah. hey, you know, sure. watch out for this. Hey, you know, you maybe don't want to do that because of whatever. And then at the end. The guy who had joined us a few months earlier went like, "So, like, is that what playing with me used to be like?" <laughs> we were like, "Yeah, yeah, pretty much." <laughs> like, uh, you know, it, and and like it was it was great. You know, it was a great moment just because clearly, you know, he acknowledged how much he'd sort of progressed and like, you know, it's it's definitely great when you can get to that point of, uh, you know, you like it's much easier to perpetuate the play group uh when you when you have that it's it's a very real thing those get those like it's like level up it's like you level up the player and actually when we were talking earlier about like how many pre-cons does it take to hang with a with the average or a specific format of cdh deck i kind of think that there's an interesting reflection in that too because it's like how many how many typical commander players with pre-cons or how many competent like competitive players with pre-cons? <laughs> exactly because right there's a huge difference, and especially the modern precons, like uh, they're they're coming with a lot of interaction built in. So the decks aren't steering people into these tap down playstyles. It's more so like the the casual commander style is like I I tap all my lands and I play all my cards and I pass the turn. Like it's like four player Hearthstone. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not <laughs> playing on other people's turns. We're, we're just solitarying as a group and enjoying our cards, yeah, which is just, totally a great way to play the game. There's Not just, knocking there's the just a dose and emblem in play for the entire game. Exactly. Yeah. There really is. <laughs> it kind of is. And that's the biggest difference. Like, if you, if you had players who who were aware of each opponent's deck and who knew when their win windows were going to be, 
and they were playing these precons. Those precons come with swords of polish. They come with they come with on point like really powerful interaction spells. I think that those decks could probably they probably would do better than uh than we would like to give them credit for. Or like to admit that they would do, but it has to be piloted to that extent with that thing in mind. Actually, that would be a super fun uh, super fun experiment to just like have. Like two two random CDH decks and two random precons. And just to kind of like shuffle the players around and see how it goes. I think that the precons would do better than expected. I don't think they'd keep up, but I, I bet the gap is smaller than we'd like to give credit to, you know? Yeah, it, certainly. It would definitely I, I depend think... on the precon in the deck. Like there yeah, are some so like decks, attracts a precon, sure. like two attracts of precons <laughs> versus like just mid-range piles. Like I can imagine that. <laughs> well, and then again, the older precons are not as good. The newer precons come with so much more interaction. Like there are actually like 10 to 12 pieces of interaction in some of these decks that are real, real magic cards that, that these cards used to be like $15 cards and now they're just printed into oblivion, but they're very, very real cards that still get played. <laughs> still waiting for the uh, Sensei's Divining Top for Brendan in a commander deck. We're right. eventually. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, why? Well, they printed, okay, they printed Amunatu and didn't put Sensei's Divining Top in that deck. I, I'm still salty about that. Anyway. Yeah, but, but also, like, do you, do you want people who are new to magic and trying <laughs> to commander. Top and play? Yeah, I guess not. Top and play. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Well, it's like, like, Sensei's Top is a great teaching card, but it doesn't teach, you have to be, it's later in the game, right? Yeah, Sensei's yeah. Sensei's Top is negative card advantage, and it's where mana goes to die. I don't play Sensei's Top if I can help. <laughs> but I all... think a lot of Sorry, Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I was just gonna say, it's also where your time goes to yeah. die. <laughs> Especially well, that's the thing, too. It's like, it looks so good on paper, but when you actually get into it and you play with it, unless you're playing Counterbalance or some sort of Super Ninja tech, like Sensei's Top, even then, I hear Modern Ninjas, like, the more up-to-date Yuriko cut Sensei's Top from their list as well. So, if even Yuriko doesn't want Sensei's Top, that card is not helpful. It's not doing what you think it's doing. It's a trap. So, I think it's, a, it's like... It's almost the kind of card I want to put in every new player's hand so that they get a chance to really understand things like card advantage and mana and so on. It's just a hard one to actually do that with. Because, yeah, right. you, you do need a base understanding of, like, what like what card exchanges actually look like, what what's favorable, what's not favorable, and, like, how valuable selection is over advantage. Like, it, I feel like in order to, like, actually start learning from top, you have to do, like, have a sort of a base level of knowledge of a lot of game systems. Um, one hundred percent agree. But anyway, it's not for new players to get to the middle; it's for middle players to get to the top. I one hundred percent agree. I would hate to cut us off from this very productive uh, <laughs> conversation, and it, it is a good one. But we do have some questions yeah. to get through here, <laughs> and we'd like to for get sure. a like to get some sort of uh, pointed information, um, uh, sort of pertaining to the tournament. So, um, I would like to ask, uh, sort of like what your um, what your path to uh, like Magda as a deck is, or just sort of like what what your path to your current CDH decks are? Because you mentioned that you played Cranko earlier. Have you just always been a mono red guy in uh, EDH? Well, mono red was like mono red is what I find to be fun. Though hmm. so when I was trying to play for fun, I would try to. Well, red was considered the worst color too, right? So already being considered adversary in my LGS stores, like I want to play something less powerful so that I'm less perceived as the guy that has to be kicked and cut down. So playing blue does Oh, wow. Play so that's actually, so, that's, that's, that's sort of crazy. I, I, <laughs> I'm not sure if we want to jump into this like feet first immediately, but that, that's, that's awesome as context because I feel like that is super applicable to the success that specifically Magda had in this tournament, but also that we've seen with low color decks recently in tournament results of like, like it, it's sort of it's sort of awesome that like I I 
I don't doubt that, like, you also probably had that conscious thought before bringing the deck to the tournament, but it's awesome that you, like, you had that unconscious feeling of, like, I want to play a deck that's good but doesn't immediately get targeted down. Yeah. Like, like before I, even considering anything else. Precisely. I want to play something that is, that, like, like, in general, I want to play something that feels less good so that I don't get the extra aggression. But truth be told, like, the, the difference in how good the deck is is not as large as the deck's potential when played well. And if you put the reps on the deck, then you can break something that was mediocre into new zones far above, you know? So Yeah, definitely. Um So yeah, I'm so I'm assuming like do, do, it was Magda like your first CDH real CDH deck or uh had you been working on like a couple of ones before that? Was there like sort of a chain leading up to it? So the timing worked out such that um, I again I had, I had been playing goblins. I came out started playing onslaught goblins. Was my jam. I kept Pinko around. It's my way one day. I was always just like the goblin guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Easy games. They're fun. They're playable in Legacy. They're playable in Planet. They're always good. No big deal. So um, when Quark came out, I was like, oh my gosh, I finally get to play Storm <laughs> as a goblin player, right? So when that card was spoiled before it was even printed, I was hyping it like crazy, and I was like, wait, hold on. So if we get a Takashima, and then like our ritual is like three rituals, but comes back to hand. And then when Ken made the Quark Sakashima Discord, I joined it like day five, like so fast. I was so <laughs> front row getting into Quark. But that was, I had only had a few, like I was, I was coming from standard. I didn't have all the blue cards from my old legacy days before. So I, like, that's a, dude, that's a financial commitment. Like if you're going to play yeah. blue and CDH, that's a, that's a real conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, you got to pick up like, like, you got to pick up like multiple forces. You got to pick up like a ton of stuff. Like, yep. come on, like these cards are not cheap. Like, I'm, so I'm like, you know, I like, commander it's fun and Quark is so fun but i can't really like i don't really know that i want to commit to like playing blue and commander right now i'm not financially into magic that much right now so i've played Quark vile smasher for quite a while i just wow. like the goblin boys and just trying to yeah, see sure. what actors yeah. could do and have have a good time with it and the deck turned out to be it was in that weird spot where it was too good to sit at a normal table but mm -hmm. it was also never going to win um like a proper cdh game you know like my my real harmful interaction spells for my opponents were like burning ink or like thought these, you know? Right. Uh, I think that like Quark Quark mathematically has this thing. I know obviously he's breakable through Sakashima or, or Thumb and stuff, but Narc Quark Quark's natural proposal is pay one and a half times the mana cost could double the effect of the spell. Yeah. And so when you pay one point five red for lightning bolt and you get two lightning bolts, if you kill two creatures, we're now creating card advantage of mono red at a budget price too. Like that's that's really good. So I, that's the way I played Quark Vile Smasher at the beginning. So I, I played Quark a lot, and not necessarily the way he's played now, but on a more fundamental understanding of Quark, trying to make a value machine. I have a 1.5 Thoughtsies, or I'm sorry, two Thoughtsies for 1.5 black is very, very, very good. And this would cause a lot of disruption in a lot of games. Obviously, you could just go Tails over and over again. And oh, yeah. Quark but Quark is yeah. just memeing you. But it's actually, that's, that's an awesome take on Quark that I'm not actually sure that I've uh, seen before. Just like. Yeah, because, like, obviously, the reason my hand attack isn't particularly good in the format um, is just because it's, like, hard to convert uh, on, a like, a one-to-one -one trade, and you have to, like, target the right person and all that stuff. But if you're thought-seizing, like, two people out of three on every thought-seize, I don't, like, the, the decks in CDH are pretty soft to thought-seize because it, it's not really in the format, so I can certainly understand how that would be, like, actually pretty great uh, disruption. Absolutely. Or duress even, right? Yeah. The, they'll get the tainted pact or the demonic consultation or the ad nausea that just sits in hand for turns as they're waiting for the right time. 
or if I'm trying to do something like pulling the counter magic out of the way. Like the they're super powerful spells that are very subtly resolved now, and especially on one CMC spells because you go from having to pay that one to the average of one point five, as opposed to like a, a spell that costs three. When you try to play that that three to cast spell twice in a turn, you're like at six mana. That's not a real game. Like if you're playing oh, yeah. six mana into sorceries, you've already lost. And I mean every well, like we're... every 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 card player has experienced that with Jessica's will and CDH of just like, yeah. well, I'm gonna try to slam this and it failed. I'm gonna try again and it failed again. Well, that's six mana with nothing to show for it. Exactly. That's not where you want Quark to be. You want Quark to be on those well, and again when he's independent, like the, the lone Quark, that's where the one CMC card that can represent a single card turn uh turn into small value machine. And that that was a cool way to play it. So I played that for a while, for like six months. And then I was like, okay, so Quark is a lot of fun. And my boys on the internet are in this Quark Soccer stream. Because I was in the Quark Soccer stream on Discord right away, even though I wasn't playing it. I was still helping with math. I made some cool spreadsheets and stuff early on. And uh, super hyped for the community. And then, like, I'm starting to see these videos. And I'm like, well, these guys are doing a pretty good job. But I feel like there's something missing. Like, I want, okay, I officially want to play this so bad that <laughs> I bought the cards, jumped into Blue Red, and then I played Quark Soccer Shima for a long time. And that deck was so fun. And it was just such free farm. Like, everyone thought it was terrible. That was great, right? First <laughs> off, disrespected at the table. Awesome. Love to hear it. And then when the, the second you start to do anything, like the idea of like, we have no idea when to interact because none of this makes any sense. And it, it was another deck kind of similar to Magda where having a super throw technical understanding of the rules really just enabled you to go ham, to, to, to really make the real kill windows or to deny your opponents the windows for them to interact and it was so much fun that's where i want to say that's where my gameplay definitely pivoted from like strong commander into competitive eda the, the, right. the Quark Shima deck won so fiercely through so many other things it lost to almost nothing i my, my win percentage in the first six months of Quark Shima was gross i think that was probably <laughs> true for everybody else playing the deck too uh, well, especially after the upgrades and um, uh, specifically, uh, tavern scoundrel, stormkill, yeah, well, yeah, tavern, yeah. stormkill, tavern scoundrel, harmonic prodigy, harmonic just like the yeah. Bayran, like the the like huge swath of upgrades that it got printed like immediately after. I, I feel yeah, like that was kind just of like, unnecessary. There, there was like a because I. I certainly think that, like, I don't, Morgan, I think you hold this opinion as well, that, like, it wasn't actually necessarily that good of a deck before those cards were printed, but it sort of, like, left a very, a very, like, deep initial impression on the community consciousness at large that, like, oh, it's, like, it's a fun deck, but it's not particularly good, and the upgrades got printed, and then for, like, a solid two months afterward, that persisted when the deck was, like, actually, like, legitimately good after those upgrades. Yeah, definitely, like, when your combo, because when, like, the first iterations of the deck were built... Usually you were comboing with, like, you have your Twin Flame or your Heat Shimmer, and then it's either, like, Rite of Flame or, or Desperate Ritual. Um, and that's, like, so much worse than, than like, the Tavern Scoundrel or, or Storm Kinetist or whatever, or even Bergy, where, like, you could just leave it in play and then go off at the right time, and you're not flipping on two spells, you're flipping on one, and, like, even if you win all the flips on your Twin Flame, like, you still have some you know, kind of engine that's sort of easier to funnel into other things. Um, but Precisely. yeah, I think... It's a, it's a percentage likelihood of succeeding when you go for it, right? And that, like, that's the whole deck's premise is that it is the quote-unquote non-deterministic, but when you add Bergy or Stormfilm Artist, it becomes very close to deterministic very quickly. And, and even deterministic sometimes. Or... Well, maybe not yeah, deterministic, are... but guaranteed. There are. There are, exactly. There are lines that are, that are definitely like that. And it doesn't take very many Storm cards to, to find yourself in that game state. 
it's also yeah it, i think it it also like it's it's a great it, it's a great position deck for people who aren't super experienced against it because like you look at the list and you're like man like uh dispel and like miscast and like you know the, those kinds of you know more restricted uh pieces of interaction like seem like they should just be great against it right um you know compared to like like creature based mid range decks where generally if you sit down with a deck that's meant to answer like turbo decks and Nas and stuff, you're gonna be like, okay, I have to be mindful, you know, like this Yisan, I don't have a lot of things that interact with it, so like I need to make sure I'm finding something to shut it down or whatever. But you're like, oh yeah, you know, I'll just like throughout the course of the game I'll be drawing my my Swan Song and my Dispel and like all of these things. And like those are good against Kark Sakashima. It's on like fifty instants and sorceries. And then, and then, like, you start playing and you realize, like, am I really about to, like, swan song this git probe? Like, is that? <laughs> yeah, or, like, this like master? Like, what are we? It's not even a real git probe. It's, like, a pretend git probe, and I have to swan song it. Well, I definitely lose, right? Like, yeah, I, I 100% agree. You know, there's a there's a card that actually crushes Kark's uh The Full Breaker Horror. Right, we've seen oh, more yeah. polymorph lines, like the team your polymorph decks coming around with Rock Rock Thrasios and Holebreaker Horror. Like it's so abrasively disrupts Quark Sakashima. Like you just let them like you let Quark get its spell and then its second spell on stacks. And then when your horror is in play, you just like counter their real spell and then your horror trigger, you return their their spell copy to their hand, where obviously it does not ever return. Yeah. Or like, like even if you get it into play ahead of time, you're just like, okay, so I'll bounce your Sakashima. And then when you go to replay it, I'll just bounce your Kark in response. And you're just like, uh, yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> Being able to pull the copies off of the stack with the, with the, the horrors return spell to hand is so clutch. And then, just like you said, too, for anyone, anyone listening who doesn't understand the way to beat Kark Sakashima, especially back in the day, you just wait until Sakashima's coming into play, and that is when you kill Kark. You yep. essentially kill Kark and Sakashima at the same time there. Even worse, like they might have to find a way to kill their own Sakashima so that they can, <laughs> they can reset it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rough. That's that is the strongest counter line. Yeah. All right, so actually, having had the discussion now, the fact that you got into CDH on Croc Sakashima and then somehow escaped that bear trap and brought any other deck to a CDH tournament in the next like three years is incredibly impressive to me because I don't. It just seems to me like people who uh, start or like get into the whole. And, I, I'm not, there's no shade being thrown here on Karkovic Shima, the deck, or the pilots, but it seems like, it seems like a deck that is very polarizing, and the people that play it tend to not play much else, or, like, tend to, like, very, very consistently, like, bring it to tournaments and events. Well, because you're playing a different game, right? Yeah. Karkovic Shima definitely provides you with that. Like, you guys are playing Magic, I am entering the info. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> that that is the feeling that that gives you. But, uh, I had a, so, at my, at my LGS, the clubhouse, uh, I host events, and I run tournaments, and last fall, I ran some competitive EDH tournament, and uh, everyone like I I would as I would be running the event, I would seldom get to play myself. Like if we had three people show up and we needed a fourth for a pod, every once in a while I would like pass the event running mantle to a manager at my store instead, and I would jump in. And oh my goodness, I had a recorded game where Quark died like seven times. Like like at some point I'm like I'm sitting there in my chair, I'm like man, I feel kind of tilted right now. Like what what's <laughs> happening? You know, like, why why do I feel so frustrated? And then I looked at each opponent's graveyard, and they were like two to three interaction spells that had all been at me. 
Like it was like yep. seven interactions. Like they, they killed my thumb. Like killed Quark three times. I played Quark's thumb. They're like, I braid that thumb. I'm like, what? I'm like, are you kidding? Me? Like, I have three lands and my commander costs like 19 mana. And you're gonna kill my thumb right now? Like, <sighs> that's it's it's such like and and, and that being a, I I had it coming of course again like I I did horrible things to everybody I met <laughs> and knew and loved with Quark's actually for like six months. So obviously I deserved this. I'm not saying it was undeserved, but that feeling that I got and how impossible it is to win that uphill battle if you're respected or feared that way at the table i could not play quark at a higher level event and i felt so bad too because everybody that showed up with quark it looked like they had that same experience that i had had when when playing in my local tournament so i was like "Ooh, i feel bad for you guys but that is not the right deck to show up with today yeah it's it's actually we had sort of the same thought around cody yeah uh, where like we took it to tier one con some people had said, oh, you know, the deck's just kind of glass cannon, like, just, you know, keep a counter spell, and, like, that was not our experience in playtesting, you know, like, like, there were lots of pods where it was like, two people went, yeah, I've got a counter spell, and then the pod <laughs> yeah. died. Um, yeah, for sure, Cody can do that. Yeah, but, th- but then, like, so we took it to Tier 1 Con, you know, Reed obviously took the whole tournament down, I, I made it to the semis, my semis pod was everyone agreed to mulligan to turn one interaction. I was like, all, all right then. Um, and, uh, and like, we went, okay, if we take this to the next tournament, like, exactly the same thing, right? Like, it's just going to yep. be targeted down on site. Um, and it's interesting, like, but- you know, I, I think we saw a little bit of that with, uh, with Winota. And then I think we also saw it with Kark Sakashima, where it's like, oh, okay, now people sort of, uh, you know, they get what the deck's doing, they get like, that, it, like... It has its, like, breakout performance or two, and then people, like, catch on to it. Yeah, pe- it people catch like, on, and then it's like, oh, we just, you know, it, it's like, oh, we just can't let them stick, like, that important piece, right? Like, if we let them get the multiple Karks, then, like, everything else just becomes so much harder. Um or, like, if we let them stick Winota and get some triggers, then, like, oh, you were planning on removing it. Well, they just flipped into, like, some, you know, protection creature or, like, even a Grand Abolisher or Thalia. Like, now the you can't. The mechanics are really respected instead of just kind of like, oh, no big deal. It's like, okay, no, we've seen this. We've seen this win tournaments. We understand how your, how your build works, and we respect you enough to not let you have that. We're not going to react to you. We're going to proactively to pull the rug at least a little bit because we have and that's like but that's that's really the meta game and how it works and it's so funny to you talking about your cody experience that was that happened at marchesa right like yeah moving into day two my semi-final first round of the day was against cody and the first thing i did when i sat down at the table it's so so funny too glitzy my friend from portland played cody right he's he's a local bot yep a guy that i've play tested with and this is my so my friend oh i'm so excited to see you with the semis now that you're here um everyone killed this like, this is Cody. <laughs> yep. He wins on two. Keep a hand that kills Cody, and that's yeah, that. That's what happened to him. Like uh, in the in the semifinal match, I said uh, like oh, I had a bust in. Like my hand was okay, and then I tied back Jewel Lotus like a champ. So I was like Jewel Lotus, Magda, Land, like Crypt, like Dwarf, Dwarf, like Vehicle, Go. And then the next player after me was playing. I want to say he was playing like Silas. Vile Smasher or something? It was it, no, it was Armix. He had Armix and, and something else. He's playing like a mid-range value deck, and he turned one wheels. 
and Cody had to discard uh, ad nauseum uh. and like two mana rocks and a fish and like it was over. Cody lost right then and there. He never got to to do anything significant the rest of the game. But that's like the the fact that the Cody player was respected before the game started and and never really got a chance to play. That's the fate of playing Cody nowadays. And it, it's it's not guaranteed and if you don't do it the Cody player gets the win instead so it's kind of like this constant ask are you guys all gonna play the game differently so that I don't win or are you not it's up to you but I will win if you don't respect me yeah it's definitely like I I think it shifts a little bit right because like then you know it's like everyone goes okay well we have to respect the Cody player and then like one person in the pod goes like Okay, but like if they're both respecting <laughs> like if they're both respecting the Cody player, like yeah. maybe I can just, you know, go for go for whatever. Um like uh one of the one of the examples we had was like during our testing, Reed was playing uh the the Hermit Druid list that we wound up bringing and I was playing like typically something a little bit faster and like our meta was just really controlly. So like he'd rely on the other two people in the pod to keep some kind of interaction and like the hands that he would keep would just be like all right uh land mox diamond dork dork pass <laughs> like <laughs> like so that's and, and the funniest the funniest part about this to me is that so Kobito, you just told the story about clustering the tournament and i'm round four yeah I mean, right this was this this was round it was the first semi-final. No, it's oh, round six. Time. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually hilarious because both of these come together to... I actually played in a pod with Glusty in round five of the of uh, the tournament. And I did that exact play pattern of there were two other relatively mid-rangey blue decks in the pod. And I mulliganed to six and kept a hand with nothing but dorks, lands, and a tutor. <laughs> right. And that dude, and that's so funny too, because yep. moving into that match, I like well, and I had the advantage of turnover too, right? And I knew, like, not only did I get to go first starting that semifinal round six, but after me was the blue control player, and then after oh, it's that just like the perfect Cody. turn order, yeah. right, for you. In that so position? like, moving into that semifinal match, I was one hundred percent like Cody's gonna win on turn two probably, and what I'm gonna do on two is tap down to play Magda. Yeah, like I'm gonna one hundred percent like leave this burden on the player two at yep. the table. I am gonna zero percent contribute. But but there is something to be said though, right? About like you're you're on Magda. The rest of the table fully understands that you're not going to be the person to interact with Cody, or like you don't have the expect like or like the burden of the expectation of interaction, right? So everybody exactly. else is like, well, I guess we have to more aggressively look for the interaction here. For sure, and ironically, like after he got wheeled pretty fiercely out of the game, my turn two. Having the the dual lotus accelerated my turn one a lot. Turn two, post wheel, I played a spear of resistance, which actually did end up locking Cody out for the rest of the game. So yeah, I I didn't <laughs> plan on being like the 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 like the killer for the Cody in that match, but it kind of worked out that way eventually. The turn <laughs> one wheel obviously was the the real hard part for him, but. Okay, so actually, now that we've gotten to this topic, do you want to sort of just walk us through? It, it doesn't have to be necessarily extensive, but do you just want to give us like a quick walkthrough of your tournament experience, just to make sure that the uh, everybody knows sort of uh, sort of the sequence of events here before we get talking more about like the actual specifics of the event and like what you thought about the deck and all of that. It was so crazy, and again, like having played with my local group, my 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 players that I test locally are very competent. They're very very good players and they know magda well they they understand it nearly as thoroughly as i do as they've they've had to in order to not let me free win all the time so when i sat down at marchesa with magda 
several of the playtesting groups. I, I don't playtest online very often, but I had a little bit, and I've been playtesting with Magda online, and my opponent seemed to be aware of it then too. So I, excuse me, I expected most of Marchesa to be on that level of, oh, yeah, Magda, we know what you're doing. We, we know what you're up to. And that's why my, my deck was built to win in middle late, not to win with clock combo early. So when I got through like round two, round three, and it's like, I'm just playing dwarves and like dragons and Lord of the Rings and like don't worry about me guys I'm here to RP. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like, I that's not the that's not my play experience. Like when I play in my play group, the second I sit down or shuffle anything, they're like fucking watch that. Game. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. They, I'm not allowed to just do things and get away with things. Is that, is that a like, dwarf? You're not allowed to have dwarves. <laughs> do that for real. Like if I if, yeah. I if I were to go back into my store and if I were to play like a cleric, like clerics, he's up to something. Kill that cleric immediately. Like we don't know what clerics do yet, but we're gonna like <laughs> watch them closely and Google them as we play against you in this round. That's exactly how my norm, my normal local testing experience kind of has always been. When I when I called my my good friend Patrick, who gave me advice about how to play against Cody. At the beginning of the semifinal day, he's like, man, how's it been playing in Marchesa? I'm like, dude, Patrick, you know how when we sit down, like, everyone focuses us until we're, like, dead in the game? Yeah, yeah, dude, I know exactly what she was like. That hasn't happened once. <laughs> like, nobody has respected me as an opponent, and it's been so fun. Like, getting to play Magic without being, like, focused or tunneled or, like, super acknowledged. It's like, oh, it's so, it felt way too free. It's like, I can just do whatever I want. Huh? You guys really don't care? Okay, like, sure. Like, <laughs> This is what magic could be like. Who knew? It was super, it was like super free, but it did feel kind of, um, I don't know, like undeserved or unfair. Like this is, mm. this isn't how, what I expected the play experience to be, but I wasn't necessarily upset to have it either. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I, I feel that though it's sort of, you may not have expected it, but I certainly feel like it, it maybe isn't necessarily an objectively unexpected um, experience, right? Just cause Especially for, like, IRL event. Like, for, for online events, I feel like you'll see a lot more, like, a lot higher ratio of just, like, the online, either, like, event grinders or just people who are constantly playing games online and are seeing a very wide range of metas where, like, in real life, yeah, like, there, there are a lot of people who are just there for, because they're in the area or because they're local and just want to play in the event and don't necessarily, like, play a whole lot online or they mostly just play with their IRL play groups and don't really get a wide swath of, um, just, like, meta experience with different decks, so... Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> you you might think that it was unlikely, but I think it was actually, I think it was, like, a pretty, it, it was it was pretty likely, I think, that it actually would happen again if we were to rerun the entire tournament in, like, another city well, or something like that, um, without the context I, I, of you having, like, won already. I'd like to disagree with you, but I honestly can't even, right? Because, like, around round, so so they started posting in Marchesa, like, after, I want to say, like, round two or three, they started posting the 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 current standings yep. and at that point people were like oh kobito top like isn't that the magda guy right the only magda at the entire tournament and <laughs> like so so after round three or four people knew like okay magda's winning so like i'd sit down in like game four like oh the guy's like three zero and i'm like i got lucky at it but don't worry about it Magda <laughs> wins again and it's like okay so then round five right last last round of day one my opponents are um i'm playing against ad nauseum across from me to my left is Comedian playing Vinoda. Yep. And then across from him, I believe his name is Phoenix or Felix. He's playing yep, Mono Phoenix. White Ale, a very, yeah, a very yep. capable yep. player playing something tricky and, and that I don't completely grasp. So spooky, right? Like real players, real match round five. And they're like, okay, so cool. You're playing Magda. We know what that is because we play Destiny. Internet. We're real Magic CDH community <laughs> members. And uh, you're 4-0 right now. So 
yeah, I hope you had a good time winning all those games, but that ends here and now. And obviously we won that game. So, <laughs> right? Like, like I'd like to disagree and say like, oh no, not people know it wouldn't be like that. But comedian and Felix, let me win that same game that same way. It's, it's hard. Yep. It's yep. not, it's not as cut and dry as you might think. Well, I think, I, I think a lot of that honestly as well can probably be attributed to people. Uh, no, okay. Uh, you know what? We're, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep talking because I think we're on a really good discussion right here. We'll, we'll get to questions later. Um, I think, I think something that's uh, actually really interesting though about that is that like there's, I think there's a lot of danger for the rest of the pod in a lot of these types of games in thinking that you know a deck well enough to properly interact with it or properly structure your game plan around it, but not quite knowing the full depth of it because i'm assuming uh there was probably there were probably a lot of people who assumed that they knew what magda was doing but didn't necessarily grasp it that like oh it can win at instant speed with the treasures oh it, it's so not cool. just going for clock of omens every tutor it's going for stuff that can deal with that stuff oh this Weird can win through rule yeah. flaw at instant speed oh Man, I, that is one hundred percent so true. And one of the one of the things that really did me a lot of favor here is again, like the list I was playing, I started from scratch in a separate Discord, and it evolved into something that did end up looking similar to the um, the God of Commander Japan list, right? Like, we yeah, were the on Japanese some list, slots. right? Exactly. We we were on a lot of slots. We had, there were a, a ton of differences as well. But what did what did me so much advantage was every time it looked bad the the player cuz there would always be one right every pod there was one player who knew magda and they would be like you know like the guy at the corner like we're all going to die we're all going to die <laughs> everyone's like shut the up dude guy. Sayer, yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah exactly so there would always be one like prophet like the magda's going to kill us all he's going to do this this and this like oh if he gets cloudstone we were done i'm like i don't run cloudstone and they're like oh, oh, oh. wait what <laughs> oh you don't oh well, okay like well there's an op agent in play well, like hold just meteor golem like, i don't run meteor golem i don't Every time, every time there was like, oh, he'll just do this. It's like, I don't play that card. That card is not on my deck. They would just be like, oh, well, um, I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen. Then I'm like, okay, cool. So my turn. <laughs> like, and that, that, it helped a ton to, to not be on those main lines. And that's, I think that's, that's a tribute I have to give to Magda as a deck, right? There are, there's like 35, 40 cards that you probably play, like the dwarves and the artifact dwarves and clock and maybe some tap enablers like Beaver. And, and probably, so like, some of the interaction, but, yeah. Yeah, like, we probably play, um, well, I mean, it's tricky. Like, I cut Gamble, and I don't regret it. Like, there are so oh, many sure. cards yeah. that, like, should be in every red deck. And, like, like Jessica's Will. Man, I, I love Jessica's Will, but truthfully, it doesn't really do its thing in Magda the same way it does in other decks. And it's one of, I think there are two sorceries in my entire deck list right now, and I, I keep glaring at them. I'm like, why run one or two sorceries, right? Like, why why not just be as instant speed as I can? Yeah. Is Jessica's Will really paying for itself in value? So, like, on one hand, yeah, there are some staples that you end up running, but on the other hand, this deck, more than most, has given me the freedom to pivot away from some of those, like, assumed card slots and test different new weird things. And well, that's that, that, find. Yeah, I was about right? to like, a lot of that comes from just the fact that you have a tutor in the command zone, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. You can be as versatile or as weird, or you can pivot and sling in whatever direction you'd like to. She... That's credit that I have to give to Magda as a commander. She lets you sling in whatever direction you can lean into stack. If you'd like to, you can lean into combo and just be fast. You get you get that that versatility from the, her in the command zone. So it was cool to get to lean on that. And and again to not play the cards that people assumed I'd be playing every game and to just be one step further away from and I think that'll like I look forward to some the next huge CDH tournament where someone's sitting down like, Oh, you're playing Magda to player not me, right? Yeah. And they're like <laughs> 
yeah but i'm not playing that card or this card like i'm not playing any dragons <laughs> i'm not playing i'm not even playing clock of omens and yeah you're just like oh no like what does I it mean like, still have no idea what's going on <laughs> entirely possible and they could have a savage deck there with entirely new win lines like she's so versatile and maybe it's just a, like just the first search is coat of arms and we're like oh shit you know what i mean like the, the, the commander's like that it's so fun I, I will say i definitely like having talked about magda with a few people um like i think one of the things that a lot of people didn't seem to get was like they sort of thought like okay what's the worst thing magda could get here you know like not realizing that like the clock means you get everything right so they're like oh like yeah. maybe you'll find like you know you know you said like meteor golem or like uh Bugard and hellkite or or something like a Pretty god sweet. pharaoh's statue or whatever right and it's like right. No, like, if I get to activate this once, you know, and I have, like, I, I have, uh, oh, what's it called? The, you know, I have universal, work. I have universal yeah. automaton in play. Like, it's like, you know, oh, yeah, you just play that because it's a dwarf and it's cheap and it's easy to cast. And it's like, yeah, okay, so I get whatever I want. Oh, I'm getting the clock and I'm getting, like, literally every, you know, artifact and dragon out of my deck. Um, and, like, I spoke with a bunch of people who... Yeah, like, their big question was, like, so what do you get off Magda? Like, you know, people were seeing, like, oh, wow, Magda's, like, 4-0 or whatever. Like, it's like, I mean, yeah, you know, if, if people are letting you activate Magda, you're you're gonna get there. And it's like, what do you get? And it's like, you get Clock followed by everything else. <laughs> yeah, followed by <laughs> half of your deck on, onto Brown. the battlefield. <laughs> Godfro statue was another one of those. They're like, oh, he's gonna go get Godfro. It's like, no, I don't play that card. It's like, no, I'm just gonna kill you instead. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's um, fast. It's so sneaky. Great. So, okay. So, I I think we've actually thoroughly answered or pre-answered the question of why Magda here. Um, but I did actually specifically want to sort of drill down on um sort of the iteration that you did leading up to the tournament. Um, because as you said, so you built the deck from the ground up. Uh, and did testing. Um, do you want to give like a sort of a timeline of the testing leading up to the tournament? Like how how early did you decide that you were going to like build a Magda deck, start like testing the Magda deck, and then like how how long, how much time did you spend sort of refining it before getting to the tournament? So at my LGS, we have a fun format called 2DH. It's 1v1 commander, and it's budget, right? So it's a 100-card deck list. I think we play a 30 life, and you don't draw on first turn. Again, 1v1. Yep. You have a command zone, 20 commander damage kills you. Your commander has to be $5 or less, and then every card in your 99 has to be $2. And we've played this format every Friday night, like last year, pretty much the entire year. So this budget commander format was such a fun place to mess around and have a good time. And eventually we found that some commanders were so powerful we had to like uh to we had to like ban them. So we made this Hall of Fame, right? So whenever like like Winota, Winota I think was the first Wall of Fame uh, Hall of Fame entry where Winota was just so powerful in this one v one budget commander format, like she she goes she went on the wall, you can't play Winota anymore until the end of the season. And a whole wall of commanders with Yuriko and, and so on ended up this way. And uh, my son, my son is 11 years old. He likes to go and play the card shop as well. And I found Magda to be super fun and super interesting. And I built her for this budget format. And I, I taught my son how to play budget Magda. And we would go and we would play test all the time. So that was in like, I want to say September, maybe September or October of last year. I started really playing it, not just by myself, but with him and, and all these different kind of formats and scenes. And it gave me a chance to investigate the deck from a budget perspective first which was cool because i think if i had started looking at magda from a cedh perspective only i would have been a lot more closed-minded about what i considered worth trying mm. so because i played it in budget first i got to test it with vehicles and i got to see 
I got to see some interesting things, especially in a, in a 1v1 format like that. There, everyone plays Lightning Bolt. There are so many Lightning Bolts in every deck, and Magda's super vulnerable. So I had to find a way for her to be able to win despite a lot of dying on site. And that's exactly what I did. Like, you can kill Magda, but you can't kill all the doors forever. There are just too many. It's not worth it, right? So, but the, so what happens is e even if my opponent is oppressively destroying Magda over and over again, I'll get a game state where I have two treasures and three dwarves. And I play Magda, and they might not have a counter spell. She comes into play. They bolt her, and it's like, okay, cool. I'm gonna respond by triple crewing, searching, and winning the game. Like that's you. The the fact that she can come in late and still just do her song and dance, despite whatever. And that was in budget too. When we added competitive cards, the whole thing kind of took off. So the from that perspective, like with the iterations, I started testing. When 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 I played the budget version, it was just fast, kind of like a a mean deck, I guess. Plus, like the best thirteen burn spells, because again, one right. one budget Magda, you have what are you, what are you gonna do? Like, don't see <laughs> yeah, you just you like fine. You have like mono red. It's like every <laughs> every mono red like budget deck in any one v one format. It's just yeah, what, exactly. what's the best ten burn spells that I can throw in here? I I was actually playing both incinerate and lightning strike. Right, <laughs> just it is what it is. No big deal. But when you go to competitive, it's like oh, I have all these different slots. My first my first attempt was to make it faster, but even when it's its fastest, it's not as fast as um like ad nauseum or yeah like any, anything anything that's like sort of purpose-built in like three or more colors is sort of just gonna by default outrace a lot of like lower color stuff definitely and it's i'm from i'm far more frail than either of those like two you come back to twice and it yep. does get really hard to get around play and win again so trying to find a way to make the deck maybe viable in that scenario and then seeing the effectiveness of that i had a friend at my store he's another devoted mono red player more so than i actually and he was trying to make Rionia work. And he, when, when he built Rionia, uh, he just like, well, I'm out of good red cards, so I guess I'll just throw stacks in here. And he was playing Winter Orb, and I criticized him harsh. I'm like, dude, Rionia's like a storm deck. Like, you want to yeah. play your spells. Like, these stacks are getting in your own way. And then later it occurred to me, I'm like, but they're not getting in Magda's way at all. This is, like, what you're doing is bad for you, but so good for me. Let me try that. You know, so I started <laughs> trying stacks in that slot instead, and it worked out super, super well. That that is actually sort of just hilarious because that's the that's that's such the the monocolor uh, problem in a nutshell in CDH is like you get your first eighty cards in the deck it's like well what's left over uh artifact stacks I guess right lightning strike <laughs> yeah shadow blast like okay <laughs> I'm, so I'm either cool. I'm either playing this three mana lightning bolt or a sphere of resistance <laughs> absolutely and I think sphere is a far better card against so many decks and it's got that asymmetry too dude and uh, going back to like brushing on white why to play magnet in general. CMC, two CMC commander just comes in fast. You oh yeah, I mean, so quickly. I I don't think like I think like people might have like distributed opinions about like how good Magnus the deck actually is or whatever. I'm not gonna trust that, but certainly I don't think anybody can really deny that like the one and two CMC commanders in the format are just so substantially better than stuff that's um that's more expensive just on rate just because they come down so early Two cmc gives you the possibility of like landing your turn one commander with like a single piece of fast mana it's just like as as long as they do like anything close to impactful they're gonna be viable because it's just like they just come down so, so early and immediately start affecting your game plan for sure and it's like it's a difference between the deck design of like magda your deck is built around magda versus like kess you could maybe never play kess in so many kess decks and it's fine like kess is your backup plan kess isn't your primary yeah. so like instead of playing good cards that you're playing for their own independent value you're playing around your commander so when whenever you are playing around your commander that's where i begin to say 
No, you, I agree. Your commander does need to be low enough to the ground that you can get in play, or you can replay it when it dies. That's kind of inevitable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the other side to it of like having having a commander that's four mana even after being killed when like other people are playing five mana commanders is just like it, it gives you a level of inherent resilience to removal that isn't really there if like you're playing like Taddy over or AC or whatever. Like you kill AC, like okay, maybe that's not a great example because those are like just sort of inherently ramp decks. But you get what I'm saying. Like I'm playing like this sure. six mana uh, commander, and then it gets killed once, and I'm just never, I'm just out of the game, I'm never recasting it. Something else super super sneaky about Magda, especially in stacks, is that there are so many cards that seem like they single handedly defeat her, but don't actually at all. Right? Like for instance, Collector Oof or Null Rod. Okay, cool. So I can't sack my treasures for mana, but Magda Search is a activated ability on a creature, not on the artifact. So I can still search for whatever I want with Magda. I guess I won't clock combo, but I can still put like a lot of very spooky things into play. Or I could just go search up a shatter or some way to, to get this yeah, well, off the board. <laughs> I was about to say, because in that situation, the, the hilarious thing that Magda could do in that situation is you're at like two treasures or whatever. They play it if you're like... Yeah, like, your your external, like, politic with the table is like, well, I guess I'm out of the game, and then you get up to ten treasures, and you're like, okay, and then in response to you doing this thing, I'm gonna go get removal, and then go get clock and kill you. <laughs> I think 100%. You just, like, don't, you just, like, don't give them, you don't give them an inkling of an idea that you could do anything through the null rod until it's already too late. <laughs> it's so true, and th there are so many other can like, uh, like, Curse Totem, or what's the angel, uh, like, Lavinia? Uh, yeah, Lavala. Lavala, yes. So they'll turn off activated, but Magda triggered puts treasures in play. So that's no big deal too. Like turn them off. I don't mind. Like eventually I'll find like Chaos Warp or something, and until then I'm gonna have like 15 treasures moving around in the same state. And no, or even like Grafdigger's Gate, you can't put creatures from your library into play. Okay, sure, no big deal. Clock, not a creature. Let's go. Like that's that's totally <laughs> fine. Like these these stacks pieces seem so prohibitive, and it looks so defeated at a glance, but really it's it's not. Like you could just play through just because she happens to revolve around activated and triggered abilities and on her and artifacts if you take any one of those halves away she still has so much to work with yeah definitely um okay so uh i'll i'll, I'll pair a couple more questions and i think we're sort of we'll, we'll get to the end of our interview segment although it's definitely not the end of the episode um so it's sort of two parts in terms of so first of all um, were there any, like, big takeaways from the tournament, aside from what we've already talked about that stuck out to you? Like, anything, like, aside from, like, the importance of a deck that people don't necessarily think is threatening, any of that, like, is there anything, like, specific to Magda or that, like, you saw otherwise? I think that, kind of like we were talking about earlier, when I talked about, like, playing pre-cons, but playing them differently, like, if you if you buy the new commander pre-cons and you just tap out every turn, yeah, you're gonna die just like that to all the Analysium players. Yeah. However, if you keep interaction up, then you don't die because you even if you <laughs> like even if you don't have a card in hand that stops them, they don't know that they don't yep. know that they've got that green light to go, so they'll play more cautiously and more slowly. So that was one of the biggest takeaways I had. I, when reflecting on Magda and her ability to do well in this scene, I think a lot of it was like, yeah, I tap out, but I only tap out on turn one or two. After that, I prefer not to tap out unless I'm tapping out with transfer or something like this in play. And then after that, the game. So many of the wins for myself or others seem like they all came down to instant speed, like people who can win at instant speed or threaten to win at instant speed or um, at least find enough value at instant speed that they can leave their mana open. Like draw go, draw go is the path of CDH and it's a path that a lot of people don't like and they don't want to commit to. But if you're not playing draw go, you're eventually going to get left behind and being able to win at instant speed, I think it's going to become more and more mandatory as time goes on. 
I I'm so happy that this was your core takeaway. <laughs> as as Morgan could confirm, this is sort of just he, my preferred play style. And basically, he's trying to relive the the glory days of Flash. <laughs> uh, well, it's just I I don't know, man. It's just I mean, it's certainly certainly playing Flash and doing a lot of disgusting things with Flash sparked my my uh love of playing it instant speed but god playing it instant speed in a four-player format is just so unfair when everybody else is playing tap out control <laughs> dude it really is and i think cards like uh tails end are definitely like tails end is so underplayed how do we not play that in everything blue i guess one in a blue is kind of a lot but the versatility on that card is nuts like it's good against everything find me a deck tails end doesn't perform against you know like yeah, well, I mean, people people are looking at Stifle now, right? Like, it's it that that's certainly been a sort of a brewing sentiment between like a, a lot of people that are looking to sort of make, or like more finely tune their interaction suite for either their local meta or an expected tournament meta or whatever. We've seen a lot of people. Go ahead. Unfortunately, we don't have the arcade denial master himself on the podcast, but um, <laughs> we, like certainly there are. A lot of interactive spells that people are now looking at, like, hey, does this solve problems that I need it to solve? <laughs> like, it does. why are we not playing this? Why are we not testing Absolutely. it? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, and then sort of sort of aside from that is being uh, takeaways. Uh, I think sort of like the, the core question that we really wanted to ask is, um, would you bring Magda to the next tournament? Or another tournament again? It depends on when it is. In the next month or two, um, probably not. But uh, a okay. month or two from now, sure, absolutely. I'm not afraid of my opponents knowing how Magda works. I'm afraid of prejudice that comes from being a recent winner or uh, like the fear of not knowing how it works. Right? That's, right. that's the problem Quark has. Like when Quark died the seventh time in that game I was describing, it wasn't because they knew how Quark worked exactly. It's because they, they just know that Quark is scary and they don't get it. So if they kill it with mass discretion, eventually they don't have to be afraid of it anymore. That... That playstyle from my opponent is what I'm afraid of. Now, my opponents that know how Magda works, they will provide me more of a window. But opponents who don't know, who just kill it out of fear and out of fear and out of fear, they're secretly throwing the game to the Oracle next to them without realizing it. That's yeah. what I'm afraid of. So I, w I, I would probably avoid that window of time, give people time to understand how the deck really operates so we can play fair commander like with that mutual understanding in mind. I definitely, uh, I definitely sympathize with that. One of the tournaments I went to, I played Orvar, and I was doing pretty well. And you know, Orvar is like another, much like Karkasakashima. It's a deck where like all your, like you have all these combo pieces that are you know instants and sorceries, and people are like, oh well, I have like dispel and whatever. And then you're like, cool, I'll cast like this random, you know, I'll cast Twiddle targeting like Peregrine Drake. And then it's like, sure, you can counter my twiddle. I don't care, right? Um, or or even, like, when they counter something you do care about, you're like, well, I guess I just have to use, you know, make another Mystic Sanctuary and get it back or, or whatever. Exactly. Um, but, like, I was playing a pod, and there were two Thalias and a Rule of Law in play. Oh and one of, the for you. one of the players didn't really understand how Orvar worked and was like, he's gonna storm off and was like, throwing everything he had at me and i was like you don't he wasn't playing blue i'm like there's like combo decks at this table that aren't me and you don't have any interaction for them and you're gonna kill me and then die and then he killed me and then uh the uh kill stars was playing his his hermit pod uh timnatana hermit pod deck and like 
it was either the turn after I died or like one turn cycle went around and then he just went like cool uh birthing pod like kill you it's <laughs> like wow what what do, what do you know oh, yeah. if only right my exactly. hand with three counter spells was still in the game <laughs> i i far prefer a game where my opponents do understand my deck and i understand their deck and we're actually playing a fair strategy instead of a game based on fear or emotion or presumptions oh or yeah half understanding i mean, I, I think that's actually, sort of like the the future of tc or teda tcd god i i'm never gonna get i'm never gonna get used to using that term um it's sort of the future i mean it's just like you know, like the the games i think the truly great games and tournaments are when everybody's on sort of either on the same page or it like has has a pretty good understanding of what's going on and what needs to happen at the table um and i certainly i think i think like the game that exemplified that to me in this tournament was probably again like the fifth round um with three very competent players all like it was there was a bunch of jockeying for position around like the cody player and doing all that stuff but like it wasn't like people weren't just like oh well we have to stop the cody player and then we'll think about what happens after that after that everybody was like okay yeah like we're stopping the cody player but also i'm looking out for what this person's doing we sort of have to like understand that we like have to throw interaction at other people at this table as, as well like th those are the truly great games that you remember um after Absolutely. going to a tournament well and so joking 101 made the video like a year ago or a year and a half ago and it was like an hour and a half long too but he talked about running four player commander it was about back when we were just starting starting to have these community-wide conversations about tournament com commander and yep. the difficulties that go into trying to make brackets and none of it works right none of the math we had before works for four player commander <laughs> yeah dude the amount of time that i and i'm assuming every other to have spent like trying to come up with a tournament bracket that works for four player free for all yes. is just insane <laughs> it's so hard and i personally again having having run our own events we we, we i watched joking's full video and spent a lot of time thinking about it and we me and Eric Loop, actually an Orvar player. Yeah, I have I've got to play a lot of Orvar games. That deck is terrifying for sure. <laughs> but, uh, but we we took Joking's advice and we tried uh, we tried one of the formats he suggested, which was a first to two wins format. So uh, and it worked out. At first, there were some clunky components, and there are some weird like between rounds into the match, or I guess between games into the round. I guess you could say. Um, thinkings that go into it. Like, if you win game one, it's very uphill to try to win game two. Yeah, because people just but don't, the... like, they, they'll let anybody else win but you so that it doesn't end. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, hypothetically, everyone just gets their first win and then we go to a real game five. But one of the advantages is that when you're getting into that game three, game four, game five, you've seen the decks. You actually do yeah. understand one another and you're playing that that real strategy game instead of a fear of assumptions or presumptions or or who knows what else. We love that about that format. Like, and a lot of times I come to favorite. It's just, it also takes like, if you talk about five games of commander back to back, that was a full day at Marchesa, right? That's like five, oh, yeah. five, six hours. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's the other problem, right? Is I that mean, like EDH games just take so much longer than any one v one format. It's definitely, it's definitely less of an issue because you don't like, some of your games are fast, right? And when you're doing like five games with the same people back to back, you don't have to wait for, like everyone else to finish their 90 minute game yeah. or 75 minute game plus turns yeah. plus whatever before you start the next one but you can just go yeah absolutely. certainly certainly like those things can take you know four or five hours of more or less non-stop play very easily but yeah i've definitely like 
I I think that there are some like really the the ones I've played in have had a lot of the like sort of negative externalities where like like there was as an example in the the mean sixteen league I was in I got I, I can't even that. call it a spike pact it was just a suicide pact right like I had a win uh somebody else was you know clearly like setting up to win like sorry I'd won a game somebody else in the pod was decently close to winning and they hadn't won a game and I like tried to reanimate Razaketh or something and another player just went like cool all packed it and like he couldn't pay for his pact and he died but I didn't win the other player won we got to right. play another game right like and like it's interesting how it ends up playing out yeah so um I think we'll get through probably the rest of the uh these questions real quick because there, there is some legitimate stuff that i actually do really want to know about here uh for your opinions on um mostly sure. uh like what are, are there changes that you've made to the deck since the tournament or like what like is or are there any specific slots that sort of stood out to you as like oh i th I think these probably should have been something else before coming to the tournament or like maybe it's just stuff that you would change going forward that like maybe you think was correct for marchesa but might not be for um new tournaments Honestly, there were like seven slots I want to say that I do not have faith in or that I found. So, so moving into the Marchesa tournament, I knew that I wanted to try some things that I hadn't tested yet before. I'd already tested Max Wood, found it to be great. I'd already tested the Hellkites, I knew that they were awesome. I wasn't sure about Mulbrooch, mm. and I found it, and I, but I read it and I understood that it could be good and decided I would test it. So I tested that in Marchesa, right? I added that on Thursday and I started playing with it on Saturday. So... Nullbrooch was a test as a card I added, and then um like Shrapnel Blast. But in general, I had already had like I want to say six, maybe seven slots that I wasn't super confident in, and it was easy to give those slots to Nullbrooch. But then in tournament, like again, this is my first time testing it. I find Nullbrooch to be tremendously um redundant with Defense Grid. You don't need both. Mm. One one or the other is fine. Defense Grid. I guess Null Brooch is better against Ad Nauseam, but Trinus yeah. against Ad Nauseam just fine. I mean, it, yeah, so, I like, was I was about to say, certainly, like, there's there's stuff going on with Null Brooch in terms of, like, being disruptive in a way that um, Defense Grid isn't, but, like, if, if it's redundant with your stacks, then yeah, certainly. Yeah, exactly. So, the, and that was like, well, this card's really neat, but it is also redundant, and it doesn't stop Op Agent, and it, it has weaknesses, so it's cool and it's neat, but I don't think that it's what the deck needs. And the same thing was true for... Like, the Volgarden, Hellkite, Skirk, Prospector, Maskwood, Kill line is neat, but it, you're still relying on Elixir loop, mm. where if, if I'm going to have a redundant, because it, it was an acknowledged redundant Wincon, just in case, but I still rely on Elixir. So I would rather instead have that redundancy be safer. So I, I think I've cut the, the Skirk Prospector, like, kind of turning that loop off and replaced it with a different dragon. Like, there's a a five to cast Gargan Hellkite. All you need for his win is infinite mana. So now I have two solid win lines that are mostly versatile playable cards that don't require anything uncommon except for a Clock of Omens itself. So we can get Clock, and then we could go Maskwood Nexus line where we go Maskwood into Zorn, into infinite mana, into Gargan Hellkite, kills you at instant speed with infinite mana. That's fine. Or we could go Clock into LED, into Memory Jar, into Elixir, and loop our library. But we don't have to. The fact that they're completely different after the clock gives us more um, opportunity to pivot to one instead of the other, instead of having to put all of it in play when we try to win. Yeah, that that's certainly. I mean, it, it certainly it's it's a solution to a problem that a lot of monocolor uh, combo decks have. Is just like it, typically in monocolor, you're just the combo lines are pretty limited in terms of like 
what actual combos are playable and then it's it's sort of hard to find redundancy so it's it's good that like you you've put a lot of thought into finding um like redundant combo lines that make you a bit more resilient to just like randomly having things not available to you um that like also aren't super super uh necessarily like um just like reducing card quality in your deck and just like forcing you to play like terrible multiple terrible cards right well, that's like the, it's always at a cost, right? Yeah. So like playing those combo cards, like Thassa's Oracle isn't very good unless you're winning right now. That card's pretty dead in your deck. There's always, and that's the trade off. It's like, how good is this card at winning versus what does it cost me when I draw it and I'm not trying to win the game with it? So that was, and the creation of the Magic deck in general, that's something I had very much kept in mind. And that's why Pirate Spellbomb, for instance, it's a great card. It's a great card for the deck. It cycles when you don't need it, and two damage isn't always useless, but. It also isn't as good standalone as Memory Jar, in my opinion. So switching from Pyrite to Memory Jar was that, that kind of decision. I want combo pieces that have independent value outside of combo, so that when I'm stuck with them in a hand, hopefully I can still get something from them instead of being jammed up with this like dead card. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Morgan, I, I'm not actually sure if you want to ask the question, but certainly we had had a discussion um, after the tournament, just like looking at the list, and I, 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 I know at least one card that you were talking about I, I don't know if you had other like questions yeah so i guess I wanna... yeah i don't i don't want to turn this into like a big let's you know <laughs> no, 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 analyze all, all your card choices no, 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 but no, no, no. but like certainly there's yeah it's, I, I i think just like asking and get like getting reasonings or just like getting uh you're like getting like picking your brain on thoughts about certain effect types right or like a classes of effects yeah so, so so the first one was um like obviously the bagard and hellkite uh lets you beat specifically collector oof um like it's it, you know you can build up 10 treasures kill the oof combo um i was curious about like some other like now that you're not doing the it as your kill condition um like some other uh way to kill things like uh you mentioned someone thought about meteor golem or the first thought for me was spine of Ishsa, just it gets around uh, torpor orb and um and like cage um and it can yeah, yeah. hushbringer and it can kill like a suppression field came to mind obviously uh <laughs> no true. no rod and stony silence um like things like that um was there like did you give any consideration so, to to that you know i and i played them both i played a meteor golem for a long time and then i switched over spine and for a little bit i kind of played around with both and neither and one and it kind of came to i mean that card is so dead in hand when you get it look not that bogarden hellkite isn't also pretty dead in hand but it's not nearly as dead in hand as right like i am playing a deck with treasures like getting eight mana to cast the hellkite isn't convenient but it can actually happen bogarden hellkite also has flash and it can like surprise uh, i'm gonna cast from hand this eight mana dragon and i'm gonna block from and at the same time i'm gonna blast Draneth magistrate and off agent to the moon like this this card can come down at weird late games. I feel like it has more versatility than the other two. But I also fully acknowledge the um, the weakness the deck ends up with when there isn't a search that just searches into play and resolves. And in the uh, in the Marchesa tournament, I was playing a dwarf that had an ETB to shatter something, like a barbarian smasher. I don't even remember the guy. Some dwarf number 19. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and he's not a dragon or an artifact, so I couldn't tutor him into play unless Maskwood was already in play. So I get, I get why, I get the appeal of 
meteor golem and fine because they do let you search for an answer to any one permanent but i would rather um i would rather up the number of shatter spells i'm playing and which is one something i've kind of done like in my last two or three weeks of testing like raise the effigy is a card that i i think that i've really enjoyed in testing i don't i don't know that i'm going to move away from it being instant speed having the option to pump the guys the super sweet when it comes up but <laughs> but i would rather play more shatters and then assume that i'm gonna like play better keep my shatters in hand until i need them for a really rainy day and then just find that liquid metal to torque their permanent into an artifact shatter it and then now i've also found the liquid metal to enable my combo like there's such synergy there when you can have that line and i i think in marchesa i was on a strong number of shatters like six or seven or eight and i think that i probably want to be on something like nine or eleven and have that be the main win style like use liquid metal torque liquid metal coating uh or even like the ash nods uh Transmog. can i use that on someone else's creatures i wonder, I wonder if i can only use that on i'm my actually phone. not sure but uh, i mean either right this card's just so silly no, it's, just any, it's just any creature but yeah <laughs> right now i have to look it up yeah, I know yeah it's any creature. yeah it is any yeah any person's creature um yeah so so maybe i can turn their guy into an artifact creature and shatter it and that's that's the way there's so much efficiency in finding the liquid metal and using it to get myself out of a jam and then having it to win with at the same time that's how i would prefer to answer those and i get that it's a greedy line kind of but i i'm not yet ready to give up on it so that's the biggest reason i was playing those before moved away because they were super dead in hand they didn't have the flexibility of garden hell kite and then my real goal for how to get out of those scenarios is more about keeping a braid or shatter in hand instead of using them on something that's not super essentially important all right folks you heard it here play exactly stony silence (laughs) (laughs) literally unbeatable (laughs) i mean until i until i tap liquid metal coating and turn into an artifact and shatter it you can't activate yeah you can't activate it oh you do 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 (laughs) no so so playing against playing against uh charles mono white player i found a a brand new card when i start play testing it's called anarchy i don't know if you haven't read this card i totally suggest you check it out uh, oh my god yeah not, <laughs> uh, that's, that's, a fun one. that's harsh um yeah there okay. we go yeah the one other the one other the one other sort of uh card evaluation question that i had was um you know you said memory jar is less dead than pyrite spell bomb uh which i think is a fairly uncontroversial take the only concern i would have with it is specifically uh since the printing of kamigawa neon dynasty um like does that affect does the the presence of buseju and odawara affect your evaluation of a win line that involves drawing your opponents through their entire decks or do you have uh a tool set specifically that you you know think deals with that effectively or so it's interesting that you ask, and I love this question. And it's actually it's 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 a it's a path, right? There's a there's a line in this this thought train, and it's it's hard to admit to myself where I am on it, but it like truthfully, the destination doesn't really care. So, Bosejo gave me terrible fear the entire time, and <laughs> especially every time using Jar, it's like, man, what if they just you know get their thing? Um, and because of that, that's one of the reasons I switched to the Hellkite kill because it was a little bit safer once I realized it, but. So, so with that in mind, it also it also strikes at the value of defense grid, right? Well, what if like, what if they, Boseju defense grid and then Crozen crypt my clock? Ooh, that's super spooky all of a sudden. Now, now I'm 
now we're getting into big danger. But Seiju definitely like represented a threat, and it made me not want to play the jar line for sure. It, it definitely made me want to avoid the jar line when possible. So I still think jar is worth playing. Like finding memory jar in response to someone's Thoracle, it happens all the time still. Like I'll even have jar in play, and I'm like, oh yeah, cool, it's a vintage jar. We don't care. Thoracle, I'm like, sweet dude, Thoracle. Jarky 5 banner back that doesn't do anything, immediately we... dies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and like, Jar, so Jar is still super helpful, if for no other reason, just for defeating Ladman, Thoracle, Hermitruid kind of things. But as far as whether or not we're vulnerable when we're playing with Seiju, the fact of the matter is that when we're in this stage, the, the, those loops only play after you've resolved your clock combo. And if you've played your clock combo, you should have infinite... 10,000, 100,000 untapped artifacts and floating mana and everything that you could ever need. And with this comes unlimited use of your elixir as well. So, like, who cares? Like, real real talk? Like, I, I played around them. I was afraid of them. And they changed the, the idea of those cards, changed the way I played, especially even in Marchesa. But the, the real conversation is that once you have your combo, they can't really do anything. Like, if they boseid you, you just respond again by tapping two more artifacts running the game in response like the the once you get to the clock line the only thing that can begin to threaten you is split second and at some point in time you should just like if you just put an activation of elixir onto the stack and then untap your stuff and then just build on top of that even if they close and grip your thing that's fine you just resolve down back to where your elixir was and then go back up on top of that you don't really need to respect they don't really need to respect any of those cards because none of them can actually interact once you've got the clock combo on. Well, so the, I guess the the one thing I could see happening is if you have your um you have your I wait till you have your elixir on the stack, like your activation on the stack, and then I like I guess maybe it's only I guess it only matters if it's happening at instant speed. Um but then if I Odawara your uh your Magda um there we go like this is this is another pop quiz moment right so without looking it up does elixir immortality do you sacrifice it on activation or on resolution of its ability uh it's on resolution it shuffles oh wait you guys said different things though. so what, what were you gonna say oh right because the effect is you shuffle elixir of immortality yeah and it shuffles graveyard. Oh, okay yeah. yeah you don't sacrifice you don't it actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Touché, yeah. touché. There's something weird and unintuitive about it, but you never sacrifice elixir immortality, and it <laughs> or, took you a long time even, to like. Even though you would totally expect for like that, that you'd yeah. expect that would have be how that effect works, but it's just not. Yeah, Dude, for yeah. real. And I've, I've asked it's a funny, funny, again, funny question to ask. I've asked so many people since because when I learned about it, I was like, "What do you mean? You sacrifice that for sure?" And the red community is like, "No, dude, you don't sack that card." I'm like, oh, "This whole time, like this whole time, I was so afraid. Even even during Marchesa, I was like, man, like I understand my combo. And one of the times I'm vulnerable is when Elixir's in the yard. It never happens. It, <laughs> it never, never actually is. happens. You can just at any time you can just tap two artifacts, untap Elixir." Do it again. Just put it back up on the stack on top of it over and over and over. So, like, even in your worst case scenarios, if you're afraid of someone going, you just throw an elixir onto the stack and then build on top of it. And then worst case scenario, like, you just resolve down to that elixir shuffling things back in and then you find more treasures and put them back to play. No big deal. All right. Awesome. Uh, Spooky, right? <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. Um, I so I think I think that's good actually for takeaways because um, and we got 
more than just card swaps, it, it's good to know that, like, you're actively thinking about, like, well, you probably want more shatters now. You're, you're thinking that it's better. Like, a lot of the, like, instant speed interactive stuff might be good. And then also, like, of course, we got the discussion earlier about potentially wanting to cut down on sorceries a bit, as Jessica's will worth and all that kind of stuff, so... I, I think I think there's a lot there to chew on if you're a fellow Magda player or if you're just you know you just like think about tuning your list for a tournament in general. There's there's always things to think about. Take the lesson. <laughs> and um, a huge perspective of mine uh, is that I like this deck did well. Obviously, I do not believe that this is the best version of Magda. I bet the best version of Magda is like some fifteen or twenty cards different. I don't think that I've found the best list. I I probably won't be the person that finds the best list. I respect that. Uh, this is just the best that I've found so far. And to the better best versions of Magda are yet to be discovered or seen. So like the the pursuit of those, I think, is the funnest part about perfecting a deck or playing or being a part of a community archetype. So by all means, I don't I don't think this is best. I think that we're gonna see more more cool things to come for it. It's it's actually really interesting that you said that because uh Noobzors actually went uh went digging and I guess found some 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 people you've played with and and got some some testimonials um and one of them is from uh from salt who who said you know um he pointed out you adapt to local meta shifts crazy fast and magda has been under constant evolution since he first brought it uh you know playing with him is a constant exercise and being on your a game so like it's interesting that you know you also you're saying you know this deck you know you're not done with it it's not uh you know finalized where you have that, like, you know, more or less perfect list. Like, obviously, you know, there's al there's always, like, oh, in my meta, I'm going to play one less counterspell and one more, like, piece of artifact or enchantment removal or creature removal or, like, I made one little swap here or there. But, like, you, you know, you s it sounds like you think you're still actually reasonably far from, you know, that refined 95 where... There's like the ninety five that's static, and the the last few cards are you know definitely and and there are so many changes that have come like if you look at the deck database list for Magda six months ago to now, there are cards that were assumed to be permanent staples then that I was happy to not play, and i've I've been happy to not play them since then the it's it's a thing that I've seen again i've I've always enjoyed in competitive gaming, and it's a, a self doom foretold anytime a competitive gamer feels like they've gotten there they've they've achieved that number one spot they are the best the second you think you are the best you are done you've you've stopped learning you've attributed yourself to be the number one champion and you're no longer going to grow the way that you were last week that led you to be that best version of you that actually performed well so uh yeah definitely that's my perspective for this deck or for any other deck as well if you think that you've gotten there you've actually begun to die that's the first step of death instead you should you should stay open-minded keep fighting for that top spot otherwise it will be taken it, it's yeah it's uh it's funny so, some of the discussions reed and i have had on like particularly uh the thrasius and timna card quality piles that we have a tendency to sort of iterate through <laughs> yeah where we're, we're looking at like just incredible cards we're like okay yeah. but it, it, is assassin's trophy like really just like not good, good enough, enough? like I, <laughs> I, 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 do, do i really want to be playing dispel are we, like are we playing all of the dorks are the monocry dorks really good enough <laughs> I, I know we're on timna but really do we need all of these hate pieces is oof good enough to, can we just cover everything else with granith and op agent and stuff <laughs> it's so true but yeah. like thinking that way is necessary otherwise you will you'll get stuck in conformities that make you like last week's top place instead of next month's top place 
Yeah. It's definitely and a good way of I thinking think, about it. I think that is a great lesson to leave off on. Um, Corvito, thanks for coming on the podcast. Much appreciated. You're welcome back anytime. I, I, I think it was a great time. I think we got a lot of great insights and a lot of good stuff for our viewers and listeners. For sure. We should play some uh, commander games sometimes, guys. Hey, let's, play some, let's play some pre-con. Let us know. We'll have the, the tightest <laughs> four-way pre-con game ever. Dude, I would love that, actually. I would absolutely love that. Dude. I'm totally in. All right, um, great. Um, so before we sign off, uh, do you want to shout out anybody, um, chill anything, promote anything, go for it? For sure, I gotta respect like I you guys mentioned uh, Salt. That guy, the guy is an incredible card player. I love playing with him, and uh, he has a few other friends that play very, very well. And uh, again, talking about finally meeting the, like the best six players in my area that I could that that always gave me amazing games. He's definitely very high up. We almost have like a standing weekly game we try to play. So he's a great lad. Um, and then of course, if you're ever in the Portland, Beaverton, Hillsboro area, come check us out at the clubhouse. We are a small LGS. We got that LGS vibe. You know, it's like same five staff and people know your name and so on and so on that's kind of our scene that's what we like to do we we love the game we like to play fair we like to play fun and respectful magic and uh we hope to continue growing the the community here locally in the greater portland area so come check us out if you're in oregon awesome well thanks for coming on and that about wraps it up for this episode um if any of our listeners would like to reach out to us with any questions comments or concerns you can contact us on twitter at into the north pod via our email at into the north podcast at gmail.com or on our discord server the invite which for the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode an extra special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work to work toward improving the quality of the podcast if you too would like to become a patron we're at patreon.com slash into the north podcast Another way you can support us is via our TCG Player affiliate link. Anytime you want to purchase something from TCG Player, if you use our affiliate link, which is in the description, a portion of your purchase goes towards supporting the podcast. Thank you, as always, to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music, to Nate Slover for our equally lovely podcast logo, and to our video editor, Manta Ray Hat. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Till then, see ya.